0: well hey everybody uh welcome to live from my drum room this is actually my 50th episode and uh, i had planned and hoped to do a really special 50th episode but um i can't think of a better way than to paying tribute to my friend and uh hero charlie watts my absolute all-time favorite drummer biggest influence all that stuff charlie was it um anybody who knows me and even people who don't know me, I think know that. So it's been a really tough week this week, uh, getting that news on Tuesday. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, I was upside down for a few days. I want to thank everybody who reached out. Um, I apologize. I, I just sort of had to shut my phone down and, and just, you know, uh, you know, I, I just, I was in no place to like be answering phone calls and texts and messages and things like that. I am still not, but, um, but thanks to everybody who checked in and, you know, expressed their condolences to me. I made me feel really good, uh, that people cared that much to, to think of me, uh, when we lost Charlie, because, you know, that was where my focus was, but, but thank you, everybody. Um, I plan to do uh, more of these tributes. I've had some ideas uh, of what I want to do involving some other drummers, some friends that I've heard from, or that I know if I reach out to them, I have no doubt would want to be involved in paying tribute to Charlie. So that's, you know, that'll be in the coming weeks, but I saw so many beautiful you know touching tributes from so many people um in the past few days that i just thought it, it inspired me to want to say something and uh, and talk about charlie for a minute um and maybe i'm already saying things that people already know but but charlie you know i'll just say this that when i think back to my how i got started playing the drums it was ringo that um, made me want to be a drummer, I guess you could say in the, in the, in the mid sixties and the, you know, late sixties, when I started to really get interested in music, it was the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all those bands. And I guess it was Ringo that sort of put that little bit of a germ of an interest, you know, and, 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 uh, and being a drummer but it was really listening to Charlie Watts, specifically "Exile on Main Street" in 1972, that made me want to play the drums. That that just set off this kind of you know explosion in my brain. My sister, who's five years older than me, um, the summer of 1972, when that record came out, she played it nonstop, and uh, and I was just captivated by it. Um, that particular album. And that turned me on to all these other Rolling Stones records, but exile in main street was the catalyst in me really wanting to play the drums. And I went up and bought a pair of drumsticks and I would air drum along to all those songs. And my, my best friend, Mike Mahoney, who lived next door, gave me an old snare drum that he had sitting, uh, you know, downstairs in his basement. And, uh, And that set me on my path that summer of 1972. And then that uh, December on my 12th birthday, which is the week before Christmas, my dad gave me my first drum set and, uh, and, and I was off to the races, but it was really Charlie, you know, I mean, that was, that was my main influence then. And, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to other drummers over the years, but he was always ground zero and, uh, and exile on main street, I think of is sort of ground zero to my drumming path. Um, you know, and so few of us get to meet our heroes, you know, it's one thing to meet your hero. It's another thing to know him or her and, and call them your friend. And, uh, and, and that's what still, you know, 25 years after meeting Charlie still blows my mind that, um we were friends and, and, you know, I spoke with him as recently as two months ago on his 80th birthday in June, June 2nd. And, um, we had a great conversation and he asked how I was doing and if my band was playing and, um, you know, we hope to see each other on the road sometime this year. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, It's been a tough week. Uh, There's been so many, you know, beautiful things that people have said about Charlie, his generosity, you know, his, his, um, I can certainly attest to that. His sense of humor. He had an amazing sense of humor. uh, You know, very dry wit. So many funny things um, that I just remember him saying over the years. And I'll share some of those things. Maybe another time, um, but uh but I you know I just started just thinking about all these different things over the last twenty five years, um, time that I've spent with him and conversations we've had um, whether it be before a gig, you know before a Rolling Stone show or a telephone call, or um in london i I met with him many times in London. And had lunch and coffee and and um you know he really was a great friend and he he uh, he you know he remembered things he he, he was somebody that he, i might not speak with him for six months or longer and he'd remember something that i might have said the last time we spoke or when i saw him a year before and i'll just share this one what i think is Kind of a funny but very cool story is this was about five years ago the rolling stones played a private show uh, for bob Kraft, who's the owner of the new england patriots uh, football team so those of you who don't know who that is and uh, so it was a local uh, show here in the boston area and it was a private show for the Kraft family and uh, charlie invited me to come to the show and um, it was great because you know, I don't know, there were like 200 people in the audience. It was a tent and midfield and Foxborough, you know, Gillette stadium. It was in October and it was really cold outside. So it was covered and it was, it was warm, but the best thing about it was the fact that it wasn't 60,000 people, much more manageable. And, uh, and it wasn't a lot of the sort of, um, logistics that go with the Rolling Stone show in terms of, Charlie having to do meet and greets and those types of things. So basically I got there, Don McCauley, Charlie's tech brought me in, met me outside, brought me in. Um, I had some dinner and catering. And then I went, Don took me to Charlie's dressing room where I, I hung out with Charlie for like an hour, you know, before the show. And we had this, just the two of us having a conversation talking about drums i was showing him pictures of my vintage drum sets and he, he was very interested and we were talking about old symbols and we had a conversation pretty in depth which we had never had in all that time that i really was able to get some finally some information about the symbols that he used in the old days which he doesn't re, didn't remember it really well but he, i was sort of jogging his memory on certain things but then at one point he said to me come with me to Ronnie's dressing room for a minute. I've got to talk to Ronnie about something. So we go into Ronnie, Ronnie Woods dressing room, which is just next door, a couple of doors down. And Ronnie's in there and, and he's with his wife and he had two two twins babies. Uh, well, usually twins are two. So he had uh, these new newborns, uh, twin newborns. So, um, and Ronnie had sketched, you know, which he does. He sketched, like, the set list for the night on this on this uh, easel back that looked pr- really cool. And I took a picture of it. I've got it somewhere. And they're chatting about something. And then Charlie says to Ronnie, you remember John? You know, and he, Ronnie said, oh, yeah, the Zildjian guy. And Charlie said, not anymore. He quit. Now he plays them. And, uh, and I should back up and say that prior to that, we had been talking about, he was asking me about, you know, playing in a band again. And, uh, so he, he, what I took away from that. And as I drove home that night, I thought about it, he was acknowledging me as a drummer, which is just like, whew, made my head want to explode. It was so amazing, you know, because you know, I met him as a guy working for Zildjian and the drum industry and, um, but he was really the reason why I wanted to play the drums. And here he was now acknowledging that. And, and, uh, another time I had a phone call with him and we were on the phone and I I was coming to London and I said, I'm going to be in London for, you know, about five days and maybe we can have lunch. And he said, yeah, call me when you, when you get here, he said, "Are, are you, are you playing anywhere Is your band playing or are you playing anywhere? And I, and I sort of laughed to myself, you know, and, and I, I thought, I said, "No, no, I'm just coming for a visit." And I thought, "Would you have come to see me play if I was playing?" And he, maybe he would have. I don't know. But um, so all these things have gone through my mind, and a million other things um, that uh, that I'll always remember. You know, um, and and I, I really, you know, I'm kind of really just scraping the surface was some of these stories, but um, you know, he was uh, he was an amazing guy. You know, I, I, uh, his drumming to me stands on its own and, and will stand the test of time as they say. Uh, I did also want to say, and, (laughs) and anyone who takes this as a, as a dig well i'm sorry but i'm not really that sorry but um to all those drummers that uh that are finally talking about how great a drummer charlie is was uh all i can say is what took you so long you know i've been saying this for 50 years mm-hmm. and um and i you know no sour grapes but I, I can remember having conversations with people who you know, dismissed Charlie's simplicity and his his uh, you know his playing for the song style as as being you know equating that to being not a good drummer because he wasn't flashy because he didn't play a lot of drum fills and um, but it's so good to see how many people have come up, come around to understanding how important he was and how great he was and the genius of his playing um you know i just want to warn you that i'm probably going to do one of these uh live from my drum room episodes down the road where i'm going to do a little style and analysis breakdown of of uh, charlie's playing on some songs because you know i mean i've i've been living this shit for 50 years man and i you know this is people that i know that are charlie fans we talk about this stuff endlessly you know and uh, I got a lot to say about it. You, you don't have to listen to me, but I got a lot to say about it. And, and uh, you know, he was, he was deep. He, he was really deep in what he did. And, and, and even he, I don't think, understood how deep he was with the way he approached playing songs and the way he phrased certain things, what he played, what he chose not to play, what he chose to leave out um his His elastic feel on on certain songs where there was a a give and take, a push and a pull, attention and release to to the way he played uh, all those things i you know i don't think he was ever really that conscious of what he was doing. he was just playing he was feeling it, just feeling the music, feeling the groove and and that's what came out. But um, you know that's that's what's stayed with me all these years is um, just how special and how unique he was and uh, and you know not an easy guy to 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 copy you know in terms of his feel very special so um, anyway I've uh, got a few things here to. This was something that, uh, this was from a Vic Firth ad when they first introduced the Charlie Watts drumsticks. And uh, my wife, who was Vic Firth's daughter, obviously, who was working for Vic Firth at the time, uh, had this made for me as a surprise. She was just my friend, and she knew how much of a Charlie fan I was, and it was pretty cool. Um, Charlie gave me these. I'm pretty sure Charlie gave me these right out of his stick bag. I want to say sometime in the nineties when I first got to know him. And I think they look different now. I I think, well, I think Vic has since, hopefully you can hear me. I think Vic Firth has since added the American flag onto the logo, but these are older Charlie Watts, Vic Firth sticks that I've uh, held onto. And this was just something that I, At a rehearsal at one of their rehearsals in Boston years ago, I, uh, I brought him a few symbols to try out. Uh, and I think he'd even said he was, he wanted to check a few things out, which, which was great. You know, he did, but he rarely ever kept anything. I mean, he had to really like something to keep it. And I'll talk more about that stuff another time too. But, but anyway, um, this was one that he didn't like. (laughs) so i asked him to sign it for me i brought it and he hit it a couple of times he went "Mm, it's it's a little heavy it's a little you know and it is it's an old older a zildjian you know from the early 2000s and nothing special so he signed it for me and uh, and i remember him saying to me something like maybe you know something like you know you maybe you can sell that and and make a few dollars and i said charlie you know i laughed and i i I know he was kind of kidding and being sarcastic but that was becoming a thing at the time you know people selling now of course it's a big thing now but it was just becoming a thing the whole um memorabilia thing and i said charlie of course i would never sell anything that you signed for me you know that's that's for me but um Anyway, I'm going to just, I'm going to close out by saying that, um, you know, what I've been thinking about these past few days is besides all these great memories is I'm, I'm glad that he knew how much I loved him. Um, He hated when I would, you know, you know uh, compliment him or, or uh, you know, praise him he he, when anyone did that he he, that was that was a genuine thing he was genuinely humble it made i think it really made him uncomfortable when you said wow that was great or you played so great on that song and i love what you did here he'd be like "Uh." well no he wouldn't do that but he you know he he he's not someone that um wasn't someone that was ever fishing for a compliment of course anybody who knows anything about him knows that but but he did know that I, that I really, you know, like I wasn't just some casual uh, observer. You know, I I, I kind of really knew his stuff. We'd get into conversations about, you know, certain songs and certain things, and and so I think he had an understanding that I was um, more aware of his catalog, his work, than you know, just the average guy, so to speak. Um, so anyway, I, I, I don't know, maybe that's just, uh, something that makes me feel better about it, but he really was, um, a really great guy, a really, really special guy. And, uh, we've, we've lost a giant. We really have, um, and I'll just say this that I think, um, you know, I, there are a lot of different mindsets in terms of, you know, what it means for the future of the Rolling Stones without Charlie. Um, and I, I can't say he ever told me this personally, but knowing what I know about him, I have to think he would say, you know, go on without me. Um I think Steve Jordan is a phenomenal drummer, and I think he's going to do an amazing job um, and I think he's you know there is there are a handful of guys that could that could you know i don't no one could fill his shoes but could at least assume that that chair you know and Steve Jordan is certainly right there at the top along with Charlie Drayton or Jim Keltner. Or me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, we'll see what happens, you know. We'll see what happens. But thanks for watching this, if you're watching this, if you've made it this far. Um, I'll come back again soon. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to uh, actually plan some things and get some other drummers with me talking about Charlie and we'll do a few of these kind of tributes and, um, you know, get some people to tell some stories and keep his memory alive. So, and look at that, huh? I bet I, I probably, I bet I probably can't find another one of these shirts now, but I may have to get another one. So, uh, thanks for watching everybody. Episode 50 of live from my drum room. And uh, I'll see you soon. All right. Peace. Over and out.